It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. to the PFF Fantasy Podcast, the new evolution of the PFF Fantasy Podcast, that is, as we get things back up and running. Thank you all for joining us. I am one of your hosts, John Macri, fantasy analyst here at PFF, and joining me, as you will every episode on the PFF Fantasy Podcast, the great Nathan Yonke. Nathan, how are you doing? And most importantly, how are you feeling about getting the Fantasy Pod back up and running? I'm doing well. I'm happy to have this up and running again after being our regular Tuesday guest in season last year, being able to do this basically every couple of days in the season leading up to the season, probably once a week over the next month or so, but happy to have this back up and running and happy that we get to be talking about fantasy football finally. Absolutely. Yeah. The NFL draft is wrapped. Dynasty rookie drafts are are going a lot of best ball tournaments are going right now. So it's, 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 it's not technically prime season, but it, it already feels like prime fantasy season. And uh, yeah, I wasn't, I wasn't a regular guest on the, the, the last iteration of the podcast, but I did make one appearance. If anybody heard it, it was, but it was focused on IDP. I, I like to think that was like a pilot episode for, for me coming on here though. So um but yeah, if uh, for anybody that that that's listened to the PFF Fantasy Podcast in the past, um, you've heard some great analysis from you know Ian Harditz, Dwayne McFarland, Jeff Ratcliffe, among others. And basically, what we do, we we're we're aiming to continue that tradition alive, continue that keeping that tradition alive, I should say, by bringing to you, the listeners, um, all the high-level analysis and fantasy goodness that you've been accustomed to uh, f- by following PFF. Um, you know, for me, we have the best data and information, I think, in the entire football world, and that's going to be a huge part of what separates us from other fantasy podcasts that you've ever listened to because uh, Nathan and I have both went, been with PFF for quite some time and are well-versed on how to utilize all the key PFF data uh, for fantasy purposes um, with access to information that you cannot find anywhere else. And we'll be sure to give you a little bit um, uh, of that every episode. And uh, But before we dive into all of that, I want to you know, kind of maybe introduce us a little bit more since this is our first episode. Uh, we'll give us give you the listeners a little bit of background uh, about us. So I'll let you start, Nathan. Um, please let everybody know uh, who you are that maybe isn't familiar. Uh, sure. I'm Nathan Yankee. I've been with Pro Football Focus since 2010. I started as a part-time data collector, um, worked my way up to managing some of the data collection processes um, for a while, uh, started our analytics team that we have at Pro Football Focus. Um, throughout my time, I've been a fantasy analyst on and off 
just kind of depending on what we needed at the time and uh, how available I was, um, was involved with a fantasy podcast probably about a decade ago for one season with uh, Mike Taglier, Daniel Kelly, uh, Brandon, Marion Lee. So I definitely had a good time with that. And then, like I said, was on the podcast last year, Um, have been doing fantasy rankings pretty consistently for the past five or six years. Uh, three of the past four seasons finished top five in fantasy pros accuracy competition. So have been fairly good at ranking players. Hopefully I can bring home that first place this year, but we'll see how the season goes and have been very consistent about my fantasy writing the past three years. And that I'll continue this year. And while I'm a fantasy analyst, also spending half of my time at PFF as a software developer, which is going on as well. So doing plenty behind the scenes at PFF, which I've been doing for a number of years at PFF as well. Love it. Elite pedigree, obviously, uh, for Nathan. Uh, and then there's me. Um, my name's John Macri. Uh, like I said before, I am uh, actually a recently uh, a full-time fantasy contributor here at PFF. I, I started with PFF, like Nathan, a- as a part-time data collector back in, so it would have been 2018 now. Uh, and then I did start writing fantasy content uh, for Jeff Ratcliffe at the time as a volunteer IDP writer, which was in uh, 2019. And IDP being individual D defensive players for those that are unfamiliar. Um, I still cover all the IDP content here at PFF, um, but now that I'm full-time, I get to bring you all the offensive fantasy football analysis that you need to help you to help win you your fantasy leagues, because ultimately that's what we're here to do is to provide you with every tool needed to win your fantasy leagues. And I think we will absolutely be able to do that for you. So I'm excited. I, I, you know, I've, I've had some experience with the podcast before, mostly IDP, like I've said, but um, this is going to be fun because it gives me another chance to uh, to dive into the data the way that I have for, for defensive stuff into the offensive stuff and hopefully bring that same high level of analysis over here to the PFF Fantasy Podcast. Um, yeah, this is this is exciting. I mean, we're, we're going to start things off pretty much right away here with our, our first episode topic, uh, which is ADP risers and fallers following the NFL draft. So we're focusing on after the NFL draft, because that's when obviously landing spots for some of the top rookies come into play. And we start to see some of the, maybe the older veterans kind of get pushed down the depth chart a little bit. So we'll look to see which players kind of stand out um, that, that are moving in different directions. And if we agree with them, or if we think that maybe, maybe the market has overreacted to the news coming out of the NFL draft. And um, for reference, we're using underdogs, best ball ADP, which is a half PPR uh, one quarterback setting. And, uh, and yeah, shout out to four for fours underdog ADP tool as well, which helps us to sort and navigate this ADP very easily. Uh, and yeah, we were, and the data specific dates are May 3rd to May 18th, which is today. So, um, yeah, let's jump right into it. Uh, the first set of risers, we'll focus on the quarterback position to start. Um, we got Anthony Richardson quarterback for the Indianapolis Colts, who was the fourth overall selection in the NFL draft. He rose from QB 14, uh, right at the end of the NFL draft to QB 10. So a decent jump there. Lamar Jackson uh, recently re-signed with the Ravens, so he saw a big jump as well, going from QB6 to QB4. And Matthew Stafford uh, with the Rams, going from QB25 to QB22. Uh, so, Nathan, what uh, which guys kind of stand out to you or ones that you think are, are worth discussing here? 
Yeah, I think to start with Anthony Richardson with the Colts, he's the one that's seen by far the biggest leap. And this is kind of an interesting period that we're looking at the ADP since it's a couple of days after the draft ended. So uh, everyone already started to account somewhat for landing spots for rookies, but this is what's happened since that initial thoughts of where we put the rookies. So he's consistently rising. I think he's definitely an interesting player. Um, I have him as my top rookie quarterback, both for uh, this upcoming season as well as dynasty leagues um, just because of his rushing ability and also pairing him with their new coach from Philadelphia, uh, Shane Steichen. So I think uh, that will definitely help him, especially with that rushing production. Um, He's their biggest rusher on the team, bigger than Jonathan Taylor. So especially once they get down to the goal line, it could very well be Richardson scoring a lot of these touchdowns. I'm just a little concerned about the start of this year. I think long-term he'll be great. I think um, we're looking at best ball ADP and best ball. um, I think will help him here since I think he'll have some good weeks and some bad weeks. So his good weeks can definitely be helpful, but we have seen some rushing quarterbacks in their rookie season struggle to start off with. Uh, Justin Fields uh, was disappointing at the start of his rookie year. He started putting things together in the middle of the year before getting injured. Um, Trey Lance before his rookie year. Um, We know how that turned out. He didn't really do much at all. And then Jalen Hurts is another example of a Russian quarterback who obviously didn't start in his rookie year. Once he got starting, he was pretty much a low on fantasy starter, which was great to see it, but it didn't happen until the end of the season. So um, I think a lot of them, are helped with the strong offense. I don't think the Colts offense is as strong, so that might hurt Richardson, but it also could mean that Richardson has to put more of the load on his back throughout the season. Yeah, I, I, it's a good call. Cause I think, I think, you know, looking at this ADP rise, it makes sense in that with Richardson landing with Shane Steichen, it's kind of like the ideal spot for at least quarterback development, right? Because he has that history with Jalen Hurts um, and turning him into you know a near Super Bowl and near MVP uh, player. So, yeah, it, it it's basically it's the concerns about him being unpolished as a passer, right? They're they're you know when you looked at some of the stable metrics from college to the NFL amongst this quarterback class, Richardson was consistently among uh, the, the bottom of that uh, of the rankings in each category. And that's basically focusing on how quarterbacks perform within structure as well. So those numbers were concerning. So yeah, I don't expect him to be like an elite passer, especially early on, but you know, he's not going to put up 4,000 yards. I mean, he doesn't even necessarily need to put up 3000 yards. You know, if Steichen leans into his athleticism and, and rushing ability, like you say, with, with success, then there's that, that Q that's where maybe that QB one upside is going to come from. And there are definitely recent examples of that over the past couple of seasons as well, including Jalen Herb. Jalen Hurts himself in 2021, he finished as QB nine by just barely throwing for over 3000 yards, but because he led all quarterbacks in rushing yards with 784, um, he finished as, as the QB nine, but more importantly, Justin Fields is the most recent example, right? He only threw for 2200 yards uh, last season, which was 26th among quarterbacks, but because he rushed for over 1100 yards, he finished the year as the QB seven overall. And that's with missing two games um, as well as throwing 11 interceptions versus just 17 touchdowns through the air. So um, not with him, not really getting um, involved as, as a designed rusher, 
in earnest until like week seven. That's that's a really strong finish, obviously, for Justin Fields. I think people are hoping for a similar uh, outcome for, for Anthony Richardson. So I, I definitely understand the ADP. Um, I think it's probably about right. You know, it may be a little slow to start the year, like you say, but if they're going to start in week one, which it sounds like they will, um, then there's definitely reason for optimism because of that rushing upside. Yeah. And I think he's someone where like, if I'm in a more competitive league, I might not be getting him at his current ADP, but I know he's someone that when I'm drafting with my friends and family, right at the end of August, he'll probably be my backup quarterback in several leagues. Since I'm guessing other people won't have known much about him, haven't heard too much about him. So I think he's someone that I'm definitely very happy to get in those kind of leagues as my backup quarterback. For sure. Um, Any of the other risers stand out to you? I guess it's just Lamar and and Stafford. Yeah, it's not too much because they also haven't risen too much, and it's not that surprising. Stafford, I think. Uh, Sean McVay recently hyping him up a little bit. It sounds like he's going to be healthy and just fine this season, so I think it's just knowing that his health isn't going to be as much of a concern is why he's rising a little bit, and I think it's a fair rise to quarterback 22, so we know what he was capable of with a fully powered offense, but now the offense doesn't have quite as many weapons as it once did. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's the thing with, with Stafford. It's, it's a really reasonable price tag. Um, I, I know he's not necessarily the QB five, which he was a couple of years ago or whatever it was, but again, similar kind of wide receiver core, it's Cooper cup and, and, and everybody else. Right. And we've seen him put up numbers, but obviously the, what we saw from him last year was a bit concerning. We saw his numbers kind of drop across the board, including, you know, a fall in big time throw rate. Uh, his average depth of target dropped almost two full yards to one of the lowest in the league at seven yards. Um, adjusted completion rate fell as well. Uh, and then another concern was his pressure to sack numbers increased dramatically going from 17.8% in 2021 to 27.1% in 2022. So, there are there are there are concerns there. I just I think it might be a slight overcorrection as far as like how far he's fallen. I don't think he's going to be you know QB one by any means, but low end QB two. Um, I think it's a good price tag for him. I mean, I'd probably be taking him over maybe Kyler Murray at this point, who isn't likely to start the season. Um, there isn't an obvious return date for him. Maybe Jordan Love as well, who's you know much less experienced and has similar issues in terms of receiving options. So I think there's some wiggle room there for Stafford to come up, come up a bit, but the ADP feels about right uh, at QB 22. All right, let's go into the fallers. Um, So a few guys uh, that stood out here and the first two are both rookie quarterbacks. Uh, the first two picks in the NFL draft, we have CJ Stroud falling from QB 24 to QB 27 and Bryce young goes from QB 22 to QB 23. So not massive drops. It's just interesting that being the first two picks in the draft actually hurt their ADP stock a little bit. Um, and then you got Trey Lance going from QB 23 to QB 24 and Kyler Murray, while he stays at QB 19, he actually dropped uh, 14 spots in uh, average draft draft position overall. So some interesting ones there, which ones uh, do you think make sense or don't make sense to you? 
Yeah, I think the rookie quarterbacks probably do make sense, even though it wasn't a big drop in number. They did drop over 20 spots. So I think it's just a case of we've seen rookie quarterbacks struggle at times, and oftentimes it's the supporting cast that has a lot to do with how well they're playing. And Carolina and Houston, both teams did a ton in free agency to add new players, and they have a bunch of players around them that are worthy of being NFL starters, just don't have that really high-end talent at either wide receiver or tight end for either team. So I can understand not being too excited about them. I think Trey Lance is probably the more interesting name on this list just because the San Francisco quarterback situation is so interesting this year with the three names of F. Brock Purdy is the healthy. I believe he'll be the starter. So because of that, it's understandable that Lance is falling. So I think um, Purdy's probably going to be the guy to have in San Francisco this year. Lance is someone who's dropped a ton in my rankings over the past few months, just hearing more up-to-date injury information. But he still has that upside of being a top-five quarterback. If he ever ends up being the starter for any significant period of time, he just might not be the starter. So I can understand in best ball, definitely taking a risk on him since you're looking for that really high upside. But in redraft leagues, I'm probably shying away from him, even at the best ball ADP where he's quarterback 24 right now. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's fair. It's, it's that ambiguity right around the whole, who's going to start the season uh, at, in San Francisco. And there was even talks about, you know, Kyle Shanahan had said that even Sam Darnold has a strong chance to start. I, I don't know how much I believe that. Um, but yeah, they've said that if Brock Purdy's healthy, then, you know, he'll be the starter. I think anybody drafting Trey Lance at this point is kind of hoping that Brock Purdy isn't ready to start the year. Um, so that Lance has an opportunity to start and potentially win the job, um, which he did last year. He was the starter last season, unfortunately got hurt. Um, and, you know, he, as much as he didn't look great in his, his first, you know, start and a half uh, in the NFL, he had some really nice throws um, two two specifically that stood out. Um, you know, he had a deep crosser uh, and, and like a 30 yard through the air pass down the sideline as well. That was right on target. So there was, you know, you saw that potential from him obviously has decent rushing upside as well, like you said, so he could jump into that um, QB one range. Um, but yeah, it's just a matter of who's going to start. Is Brock Purdy going to be healthy? And um, hopefully Sam Darnold isn't, uh, isn't, doesn't get in the way of Trey Lance because I, yeah, I'm with you. I like the, I like the ADP there and I would definitely be willing to take a shot on Trey Lance as QB 23, 24. Yeah, and then the last name, Kyler Murray, um, Jonathan Gannon did say within the last week or so that he's a long way away, but luckily the season's a long way away, so it's just really hard to know exactly when he will be ready to start playing again. And it's a situation where Arizona is not expected to be one of the great teams this year. So we could see a situation where if it's the middle of the season and Arizona has a losing record and clearly not making the playoffs, why rush Murray back if you still think he's going to be the long-term franchise quarterback? So I understand, again, similar to Lance, where if he's a healthy starter, he has that top 10 upside, especially with his rushing, and still has a decent supporting cast around him. It's just a decent chance that he could be spending part, if not all, of the season not playing. No, definitely. That's that's the big concern with Murray is just, yeah, I'm with you. I, I don't feel overly confident that we'll get him for significant games this year. Um, so, yeah, QB 19, like I get it. You, you know, you 
you have him as your QB two and don't have to have him in the lineups until bye weeks and injuries start to play a part. And hopefully he's back by then. So he makes it for a high end QB two if he's a starter, but yeah, I just don't feel overly confident that he'll get to that point or be worth, worth the cost right now. So I understand him, him coming down the list a little bit. Um, all right, let's move to the running back position. So we had three major risers that uh, that kind of stood out. Uh, the first one is Jarek McKinnon with the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, goes from RB57 to RB43. So that obviously comes with the news of him re-signing with the Chiefs, which happened just after the draft. Um, and we got Alexander Madison with the Minnesota Vikings going from RB 33 to RB 28. So obviously the, the, this one is more based on the Dalvin cook situation. What is going to happen with him in Minnesota? And then Joe Mixon um, actually rises as well, going from RB 24 to RB 20. Which one did you want to talk about here first? Um, we'll start with McKinnon. I think all three of those guys are fairly interesting. Um, McKinnon, obviously with re-signing with Kansas city, being in the Kansas City offense is significantly better than being without a job. So completely understand his rise. Um, most of that rise happened over a week ago, but he's still over the past week uh, continuing to go up little by little in his ADP in recent days. So the rise has not stopped at this point. Um, obviously, last year had the nine receiving touchdowns, which um, probably going to regress at least a little bit, but it's definitely an exciting situation in Kansas City just because that backfield is basically the exact same as it was last year, uh, basically lost Ronald Jones, which he wasn't doing much for them last year anyway. So uh, basically just him and Isaiah Pacheco again, and uh, Clyde Edwards Alaire um, gets in their good graces again. He's their RB three currently, but even down the stretch last year, McKinnon was playing significantly um, seeing the majority of the snaps uh, by being the third down back, which is what he's known as, but he was also playing significantly on those early, Early downs and getting over half of the snaps in goal line situations. So he's not often going to be the one carrying the ball and getting that last one or two yards, but he's on the field, which gives him an opportunity to score those receiving touchdowns. So I think he's someone who will continue to be probably not in those top 24 running backs, but definitely a consideration when you can put him in that flex spot there. So I think he's, up for another solid season and especially of Kansas city. Um, they're one of the most pass heavy teams, even if they have a lead, but if they start rushing more, once they have these huge leads so that the running backs get even more fantasy points, that's even better for both him and Pacheco. Yeah. Yeah. I, I definitely see the rise for, for McKinnon making sense. I mean, like you said, he's not, you know, a, a workhorse running back or anything like that, but he's getting those kind of high value snaps and, and getting a decent target share when he's on the field. I think he had a 21% target share when he was on the field last season. And um, obviously the nine receiving touchdowns, like you said, it's, it's a high number. There's definitely a chance for regression, but where it helps for him is like you said, he's out snapping Pacheco and, and the other backs when it comes to those goal to go situations. Um, I believe the number was actually 61 to 27 in favor of McKinnon last year, as far as snap, go in goal to go situation. So I, I expect that usage to pretty much be very similar just because of that room staying together and not major changes happening there. So um, there's, there's definitely an opportunity for McKinnon to continue adding um, value through those um, key pieces, of, which is receiving and, um, and touchdowns as well. All right. Uh, you want to talk about Alexander Madison? 
Yeah, let's go with Madison. That definitely interesting in the age of social media, seeing the Minnesota Vikings uh, change their banner and having Madison instead of Cook among the offensive players on it. Um, we've seen plenty of times over the past couple of years where a team will stop having one of their players as much as prominent on social media or um, schedule releases or those kind of things. But often it's um, just to have a different player on it whatsoever and not necessarily the person that's going to replace the player leaving. So the fact that they have Madison there, um, probably a decent sign that Cook will be moved at some point of time, whether they release him or trade him sometime after June 1st. Um, that puts Madison at the top of the backfield, and he's been arguably the best handcuff running back over these past few seasons. Uh, was RB4 the last week this past year, even though Cook played every game last season. Uh, the season before, Cook missed four games, and Madison finished RB7, RB6, RB8, and RB13. So he's been an excellent fantasy running back whenever he's been get, given the opportunity. But I think a decent amount of that is... When Cook's been healthy, he's had to lose at least some snaps to Madison. But when Cook's out, Madison hasn't really had much competition. So he's seeing even a higher percentage of the snaps and carries than Cook would see. So I think the biggest thing in this situation is after, or when they move on from Cook, do they bring in a different running back? Mm -hmm. Since there are a couple of veteran running backs who could definitely um, at least compete for some of that playing time with Madison, I think... This um, ADP rise for Madison's definitely warranted. He's up to RB28 now, and I think even if they bring in a veteran running back, I would probably have Madison even a little higher than that in my rankings. And if they don't bring in a veteran, then Madison moves up probably at least to the top 20. But we still don't know exactly what will happen, and um, the Vikings have added a couple young running backs, a young running back in each of the past three drafts in one of the later rounds. So there's a chance that one of these other running backs could also emerge as a clear backup. But um, once Cook is gone, then I think Madison's definitely in the conversation of fantasy starters. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. And yeah, I was going to ask you actually, what what would you, where would you put Madison if, if Cook were gone um, from the situation and they didn't bring anybody in? So you're right. Um, yeah, you nailed that. Um, I, I, ha I probably have him in a similar range, just inside the, inside the top 20. We've seen him be efficient. Um, he's, he's been a, a pretty good as far as being an elusive back as well. Um, posted some decent missed tackles forced and yards after contact numbers, but um the main thing is just the usage, right? The Vikings were 77% uh, of rushing attempts to their top running back last year. Um, and then with Cook out of the picture, that can rise even higher uh, for Madison, which is which is among the best in the league, potentially top 10 usage in the league. So um, it's just a matter of what he can do with those touches. If he gets them, we don't really know what's going to happen exactly right now, but he is moving up there because it does seem like something might happen. Uh, speaking of things that could or were rumored to have happened, uh, Joe, Joe Mixon is, is another guy that was dealing with some uncertainty as there was, you know, talks of him maybe not wanting to take a pay cut. There was rumors of the Bengals releasing him. Um, there's a chance that, you know, if Cincinnati designates him as a post July 1st cut that they could save about $10 million in cap. Um, but things slowly looking better without news, I guess, uh, for Mixon, you know, and, and maybe making people feel a little bit more comfortable drafting him. And and I, I feel not too bad about this spot either. Right now, RB20, I'm comfortable with that. I think, you know, we're 
going to let him, if they were going to let him go, they probably would have done it by now. Um, maybe they, they lost Samaj P Ryan in free agency to Denver and only drafted chase Brown in the fifth, this past draft. So no real concerns about anyone taking his job in 2023. That's on the roster right now. You mentioned veteran backs that are kind of out there, the threat uh, that could sign somewhere and, and eat into those snaps. But if he's with the team again, I mean, the usage is about as good as it gets uh, around 81% rushing share, uh, around 23% target share when he's on the field as well. I think as we get closer to the start of the year and there isn't any more like kind of damning news uh, against Mixon's tenure with the Bengals, then we'll just continue to see that ADP rise. Oh, yeah, he's finished RB4 and RB11 over the past two seasons, and that's with Samaj P. Ryan taking a lot of those third down snaps away from him. I know they've been, the Bengals have been talking up Travion Williams, their sixth round pick in 2019, who's often been third or fourth on the depth chart over these past few seasons, and he could very well be the backup at least to start the year. So I think the fact that Cincinnati hasn't invested heavily in a running back, they didn't re-sign Samaj Pirine so it really does look like at this point that they'll stick with him and I think the closer we get to the season the more we'll see his ADP rise assuming he is still on the roster and they haven't made any other moves but this Bengals offense still looks like it's going to be as great as ever and that leads to a ton of opportunities to score as well as just opportunities with not very much competition at running back so I think he'll be in one of the best situations, assuming he stays on the roster, but it's still at least somewhat of a risk because they could always get rid of him. And there's a couple guys that are available that could take his place. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. The Ezekiel Elliott's and Leonard Fournette's of the world that could still get jobs. Um, definitely a concern there for anybody, you know, hoping for, a, like you said, Travion Williams or Chase Brown, something like that. But right now uh, it's looking good for Joe Mixon until things change. So we'll look at the running back fallers here. Um, there's a pretty obvious trend of why these guys fell after uh, coming out of the draft. So we got uh, Kenneth Gainwall, Gainwell, sorry, uh, with the Philadelphia Eagles going from RB 53 to RB 58, which is about 20 spots in ADP. Uh, Tyler Algier, the Atlanta Falcons. We know why he fell going from RB 43 to RB 46. And then Jeff Wilson uh, with the Miami Dolphins goes from RB 48 to RB 54, which was also uh, close to 20 spots as well. Um, anyone in particular there that you wanted to focus on? Yeah, of those three, it's pretty clear why they're falling. It's They had two veteran running backs heading into the draft, and then all three of those teams added someone with at least somewhat similar skill set to add to the competition significantly. Uh, in Gainwell's case, it was trading for DeAndre Swift rather than a rookie. Um, not among those top three, but pretty high up on the list as well, Deonta Foreman um, with Chicago, and they also drafted a rookie, I think the probably most interesting name that's close to that group is Kareem Hunt. I know we've been talking a little bit about one of these backs and the were traded or cut that there are players available. Uh, Kareem Hunt is one of those names as well as Elliot and Fournette. And like right now without any movement with Mixon or Cook, 
there really aren't many landing spots that make sense for or any of these three backs. Um, maybe Denver, if Javante Williams isn't ready, they added Samaje Pirine. But if we find bad news about Williams, then they could add another back. But so far, it sounds like, if anything, he's going to be ready earlier than expected. And then going from depth chart to depth chart, the only other team that really made any amount of sense is Arizona since Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. They have James Conner as a starter, who is fine. But behind that, uh, Corey Clement, uh, Keontae Ingram, who were among the backups last year. And Arizona seemed throughout the season to kind of go through um, all of their backups, trying to figure out who they like as their number two guy and never seemed to really settle on anyone. I think Clement was the guy at the end of the season, but I it probably good if they added a running back at some point of time plus Connors on the older side for running backs in general so I was a little surprised they didn't um prioritize drafting someone earlier so um those are probably the only two teams looking for a free agent if not I think we're looking at a situation where uh similar to what happened with Baltimore over the past two seasons really where they've had injuries at running back and then sign a bunch of veterans so I think these guys are probably waiting several months at this point and waiting for an injury to happen so that they have a spot where they can see significant playing time. And without that, there's a chance at least one of these players might not play in the NFL this year. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good call. I think that's for the most part, what where we're going to see a big movement is with those injuries, right? Where somebody can come in off the street and, and step into a, a bigger role. But yeah, the free agent guys so far, nothing too exciting for them. Um, and yeah, the rest of these, these fallers, they all just make a lot of sense. I mean, Tyler Algier, it, it seems like people were bracing for Algier to get replaced as he was RB 43 going to, to RB 46. I think everybody kind of had a feeling, you know, Atlanta was going to address the position um, and they, they did it and they did it early, obviously with, uh, with Bijan Robinson. So that one makes a lot of sense as well. All right, let's go to the wide receivers uh, guys that are rising Uh as far as the ADP goes, we have Rushi Rice, who was drafted by the Kansas City Chiefs in the second round. Uh, Van Jefferson with the LA Rams. Jonathan Mingo, another second round uh, rookie wide receiver going to the Carolina Panthers. Uh, I should say he went from wide receiver 65 to 58. Uh, Rashi Rice actually jumped 10 spots from wide receiver 69 to 59. And Van Jefferson dropped... Uh, moved 11 spots from wide receiver 86 to wide receiver 75. Um, and then one more guy on there was Kadarius Tony, also with the Chiefs, moving from wide receiver 36 to wide receiver 35. Um, yeah, who stands out uh, to you in this group? I think Van Jefferson probably stands out the most to me. I know we mentioned two rookies there that were picked in the second round, a Jaden Reed and Marvin Mims, also fairly high on this list of players who are risers. And those are the four wide receivers who were selected in the second round. All of them should have some opportunities as a rookie. So um, it's not too surprising to see all of their rise. 
Jefferson, I think, is a pretty interesting situation. Just we were talking about Matthew Stafford a little bit earlier, but the Rams this season, they didn't draft a skill player until the fifth round. The closest thing they've done to a veteran addition is Hunter Long. And over the past two seasons, they have lost Odell Beckham, Robert Woods, Allen Robinson, Deshaun Jackson, and Brandon Powell at wide receiver. So they had some depth before, and they've lost nearly all of it. So um, obviously, Cooper Cup's wide receiver won. No one's questioning that. He's going to see a ton of targets throughout the year. But there's a chance Jefferson becomes the wide receiver, too, on the team. Um, Tutu Atwell is someone that I like on the team, though, and I could see him emerging as potentially the second best wide receiver option on the team this year uh, was the clear second highest graded wide receiver on the team last year, uh, 1.67 yards per route run, which was also clearly second best among the wide receivers. Um, Jefferson was around 1.2. So I could very well see Atwell being the second best option on this team, but every wide receiver who's a starter gets at least some level of volume and he's only wide receiver 75. So I can understand taking a chance on him that late, but if I was taking a chance on any Rams wide receiver late, it would probably be at well. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, it feels like a group where anybody can kind of emerge, right? Even um, Puka Nakua. I know a lot of people like him. I'm a fan as well. Rookie out of BYU. Um, He does a lot of good things there. So there's a chance that maybe later in the season, we could see him a little bit more, but yeah, the Van Jefferson uh, ADP, I mean, wide receiver 75, even with that rise as they didn't add really anybody, um, it still feels like a pretty decent value. the, The Rams with Stafford in the lineup, last year were a top 10 team in, in pass rate at 65.2%. And he was uh, he had 24.6 catchable passes per game last season. So about middle of the pack 16th. But, you know, we didn't see Van Jefferson until I think week eight or nine last year, I think it was. So I yeah. think some of this too, like, it, it, you know, his total fantasy points are deflated as well for people that do kind of look at, um, look to draft based on last year's scoring a little bit as well. So, yeah, I'm with you. I think I think he's a decent value. I mean, Tutu Atwell as well is going to be a decent value. There's there's going to be volume there for these guys, um, and there's going to be a chance for somebody to emerge probably closer to that kind of wide receiver four range, even as like the team's wide receiver two. Um, but it's uh, it's still a nice value there. Um, the other person that stood out to me, so rookie, I'll talk about the rookies here because we are so not that far removed from the draft, but R- Rashi Rice um, going from wide receiver 69 to wide receiver f- 59, really nice jump for Rice and ADP after the draft, obviously boosted by two significant things and that he was a second round pick and selected by the Patrick Mahomes led chiefs. But also the wide receiver core for Kansas city isn't really expected to be the most difficult to emerge from with um, Marcus Valdez Scantling, Kadarius Tony, Sky Moore, who was their second rounder last year, Justin Watson, Richie James. So I get the optimism for Rice, and I think it's fair a fair price to spend on a guy with a legitimate shot to earn fantasy-relevant targets uh, amongst the wide receivers on that team. A big part of the Chiefs' passing attack last year actually came from after the catch yardage. So Mahomes ranked fourth in the league in percentage of passing yards that came after the catch. Uh, and with guys like Rice and Kadarius Tony, they offer those skill sets to fit well into that Kansas City offense. And Rice specifically ranked fifth in this class in receiving yards after the catch uh, since 2020. He ranked fourth in receiving yards after contact and first in missed tackles forced on reception. So um, 
you know, there's at least a chance for him to fit in well there and emerge. And especially if we start to see kind of that inconsistency and and unreliability of Kadarius Toney, for example, um, Rice could fill a similar role as a rookie and earn those key targets behind, obviously, Travis Kelsey um, on a weekly basis. Um, Did you want to touch on Kadarius Toney at all since we're talking the Chiefs wide receivers here? Oh yeah, I think it's a similar thing where like Kansas City lost some of their wide receivers this offseason and obviously added Rice to help replace him. But Tony's been someone where when he's been playing, there's been exciting things. He just hasn't been playing very consistently throughout his time in the NFL so far. So I think people are hoping that Tony emerges as a clear wide receiver one on the team. And obviously Travis Kelsey is going to lead the team in targets, but uh He's also getting up there in age a little bit. So obviously he's already doing better than basically any tight end has ever done at his age. So definitely a chance that that can continue. We've seen other players kind of buck the trends on um, how long you can stay at an elite level. So, but at some point of time, he's bound to regress a little bit and a wide receiver will need to emerge. And Tony seems like the most likely option on the team. So can definitely understand some optimism on, with him, but like a lot of these other veterans where we're talking about both risers and fallers, it's just a risky situation where there's a chance for a ton of upside, but there's also a chance that he could be mixed into the Kansas city wide receiver room where the past two seasons. Now they've been rotating five or six guys in and off the field fairly consistently. So it's not like other wide receivers ones on teams where they're playing 90 plus percent of the time, he might only be playing 70% of snaps and that'll limit the amount of targets he can see. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good call. And yeah, I, I mean, I, I get it too. I mean, there's definitely optimism from the fantasy community that, that Tony will kind of emerge there. And I think every day that goes by kind of without incident for Tony, we might see his ADP bump up just a tiny little bit, at least until there's another concern that pops up either injury or off field, in which case it's like kind of resetting the days without an incident counter back to zero, which will probably push back his ADP as well. Right. Mm -hmm. So people are aware of what he could do um, on the field. It's just a matter of actually getting him on the field and staying on the field is, is the concern. So um, yeah, him as a riser right now makes sense as well. Uh, We could look at the fallers here. Uh, We have a few wide receiver fallers and I think they all make sense as well. So Josh Palmer, Wide receiver for the Chargers goes from wide receiver 76 to wide receiver 85. Tim Patrick, Denver Broncos, goes from wide receiver 80 to wide receiver 88. KJ Osborne, Minnesota, goes from wide receiver 57 to wide receiver 66. And Jamison Williams goes from wide receiver 43 to wide receiver 48 with the Lions. So, I mean, three of those guys obviously make a lot of sense with rookies coming in and then Jamison Williams obviously being the suspension. But anybody that you'd want to focus in on there? Um, I'll start with Tim Patrick. He's someone that I'm still willing to take a chance on, especially with how late he's getting drafted. I've already done a couple uh, best ball mania drafts at underdog, and I've definitely got him in a couple of my leagues already. Um, I think with the new coaching staff with Sean Payton, I think Tim Patrick it's what Peyton likes in a wide receiver. So I think even last year we were hyping up Patrick a bit before his injury of someone who, even though they have Cortland Sutton, they have Jerry Judy, both of them were involved in trade rumors throughout the offseason this year. So um, I very well could see Patrick still being uh, 
huge factor of this Broncos offense, even with the drafting of Mims and the other veterans that they have in their wide receiver room. So especially um, his ADP right now is past 200. So definitely someone that I'm willing to take a chance on among those first three wide receivers. Yeah. Yeah. It's a great call. It's it's uh, it's an easy value at ADP. And I mean, for me, I think the one that stands out probably KJ Osborne Um I mean, the Vikings were definitely another team that added first round wide receiver talent, bringing in Jordan Addison. And I do expect Addison to eventually emerge as wide receiver two there this season. There's at least like some room for Osborne to earn targets, especially early in the season while Addison acclimates to the NFL. Um, I think there's still kind of like a connotation around the Vikings that they're a two wide receiver team, which they very much were under Zimmer. But with Kevin O'Connell coming in last year, we saw them deploy a top five rate of 11 personnel. So utilizing three wide receiver options um, after Zimmer was consistently among like the lowest rates in the league in that regard. So obviously, Justin Jefferson is going to be a threat to lead the NFL in targets every season. But Kirk Cousins was actually just behind Mahomes last year in catchable passes per game at a very strong 27.4, so a top 10 mark there. Even with Hawkinson um, and Addison also getting involved, Osborne's kind of perceived wide receiver three status in Minnesota is probably better than, say, you know, like the wide receiver two in Atlanta or Chicago, um, potentially teams with rookie or unproven quarterbacks as well, Indy or Green Bay, somebody like that. So well, I get the fall in ADP for Osborne. I'm I'm here for the value as well. So I think, you know, his original ADP is probably closer to what it maybe currently should be in that mid wide receiver 50-ish range, especially as an above average separator and, and yak option as well. Uh, and then Jamison Williams, the last guy that we mentioned, um, he's suspended the first six games of the season. So obviously not going to get him to start the season. So that definitely plays a role in his fall, but also just going back to his numbers last year, he only had one reception in his six games and then one carry both of those big plays went for 40 plus yards and a touchdown. But um, Detroit, that was a situation where like every time that a, wide receiver came back from injury. They eased him into action. They only played him a little bit his first game or two. And then he started seeing more playing time, but with Williams, he just never really got that much more involved in the offense, which was a little surprising for me last year. And then having the suspension this year, um, there's definitely a chance that he can come back and be the player that he was in college and be a huge part of this Lions offense going forward. But, he could also be part of a rotation and Amon Ross St. Brown is still the top wide receiver on the team and they've invested at running back a lot so they could rely even more heavily on the running backs this year than they did last year. So I could see just a wide range of outcomes for Williams in the 11 games that he'll be able to play in. Yeah. Yeah, I was bummed about the suspension too, because you're right, like easing those guys back. And there's a chance that they might do the same thing with Williams when he comes back from suspension, even though he wasn't hurt or anything, you know, just kind of figuring out how he fits into the offense as well. So yeah, it's definitely a bummer for this season. I still really like him for dynasty. I'm, I'm kind of holding him there, but as far as 2023, I'll, I'll be a little bit lower on him. I'll probably push him even further down this ADP, to be honest. Um, let's go look at our last positional group. We'll look at the tight ends here. So risers as tight ends, we got Irv Smith, uh, with the Cincinnati Bengals going from tight end 22 to tight end 17. Then Sam Laporta rookie for the Detroit lions going from tight end 24 to tight end 20 and Dalton Kincaid goes from 
tight end 14 to tight end 11 Dalton Kincaid with the Buffalo Bills. That is, uh, yeah. Anybody that you want to cover here? Um, Irv Smith stands out to me. He was someone where like I do my first rankings for the upcoming season, right at like week 17 of the previous season. So I enjoy trying to start projecting things that early and then constantly updating the rankings as we get closer and closer to the season. And when I was doing my rankings in March and April, I'm consistently like, I'm not going to have a player on this team be too high because I'm pretty sure they'll draft a rookie and then that'll just drop him back down. So like we saw that with Detroit, they drafted Sam Laporta and I didn't have any of the Detroit tight ends ranked too highly because I assumed that they would be drafting a tight end. And Cincinnati was one of those situations where even though they added Smith, I expected them to add a rookie in there. So I didn't have Smith that high. So when I was doing all of my rankings after the draft and like moving players up and down based on, okay, this team drafted this player, which moves this team down. And then looking at it afterwards and I'm like, wait, why is Irv Smith so low? The Bengals don't have anyone else at tight end. So definitely moved him up at that point in my rankings. Um, I think it'll be an interesting situation in Cincinnati, like throughout last year, um, in my free agent article, it was basically always Hayden Hurst as that tight end that you should pick up since there's always that upside in the Bengals offense with how much they're scoring that the tight end can score a touchdown each week. And when you're looking at from tight end 12 to 20, that's all you're really looking for is hopefully they can score a touchdown because they're not going to be able to do much else. So um, Smith, he's still young, even though he hasn't done a ton in the league at this point, hopefully he can come back from his injuries and, be the same player that we thought he'd be when he came into the NFL. Um, he had a couple of weeks where he showed promise in Minnesota when Kyle Rudolph was injured. And that's the like little sample size that we have of him in the NFL where he can be a top fantasy tight end, but that's basically two out of four games that we saw him without Kyle Rudolph in that season. That was now a couple of years ago. So um, there's a chance there's upside there. And really when you're looking at the tight ends, from 12 to 20, all you're looking for is upside. So I think Smith at least has that upside and deserves to be a tight end 17, which is where he's getting drafted now. Nice. Yeah, I'm here for it. I'm here for the year five breakout. I like the fit with the Bengals as well. Um, yeah. And then one of the other guys um, that, uh, that we touched on here was Sam Laporta getting drafted to the Detroit Lions. So I think for, for his jump going from tight end 24 to tight end 20, I, a lot of that I think has to do with him being the second tight end drafted in this draft class. It wasn't crazy to see Laporta as kind of like fifth among this tight end draft, uh, this, this draft class in pre-draft rankings behind Kincaid Mayer, And depending on how people viewed Darnell Washington, Luke Musgrave, those kinds of guys, but because he ends up being the second tight end drafted, it actually, it's a nice landing spot as well. It, it obviously that plays a big part in his ADP rise. And I, you know, with the caveat, obviously that we need to limit expectations for rookie tight ends, that the fit here with the lions is a good one. And, and not just from an opportunity standpoint as only like Brock Wright and Shane Zilstra's kind of stand in his way, but it gives the lions a chance to utilize the position in the passing game closer to how they did when TJ Hawkinson was on the team. Right. So last year before um, the Hawkinson trade, they were top 10 in the league and targeting the tight end at 21%. But after the trade, they fell to 28th in the league. So just under 14%. So investing in Laporta so early in the draft at least gives them maybe a reason to go back to that well uh, in 2023. 
Yeah, and it's worth mentioning with tight ends, like we often don't see rookie tight ends do well their first year, but the bar for tight end at that point is so low that like I was trying to come up with my top 12 tight ends and it was really hard to come up with that 12th guy just because you see like with Don Kincaid, he's right now tight end 11 with at underdog, but it's going to be hard with Dawson Knox also there. They'll run more two tight end sets than they did last year, but they have plenty of weapons in Buffalo. They have running backs in Buffalo as well who can do well. And it's going to be hard for Kincaid to be consistent. I think this is a case where we're looking at best ball versus redraft where in best ball, we can expect Kincaid to have at least a couple of weeks where he's going to have some really good stat lines. We just don't know when those games will occur. So if you're getting him in redraft, you're probably getting him and starting him and happy you started him five, six weeks out of the season and not happy you started him the other 10, 11 weeks out of the season. So um, it would, Laporta going much lower than that. It's just there's a, I don't know, three to 5% chance that he ends up being a really good tight end immediately in the NFL. Um, the big thing with this tight end class is there's a lot of really good guys, but it might take a year or two. So, like, I'm excited for the future of the tight end position in 2024, 2025, just not as much for 2023. So, I'm fine if you're at the end of your draft and need a backup tight end and he's the guy you're looking at just because there's a chance he'll be something where there's a good five or six teams in the NFL where their starting tight end is someone who was a free agent that they added that has been on a different team each of the past three or four years, because there's just been a handful of tight ends where the team's like, okay, we'll give them a try a year later. Okay. Let's try someone else a year later. Let's try someone else. And it's the same guys rotating through teams that are starting. So, you know, exactly who they are, what they'll be. You know, that they're not going to be a starting fantasy tight end where at least with some of these rookies, there is at least a chance because they're just unknowns and we know that they were good in college and they'll hopefully be good at some point in the NFL. Maybe they'll be good in year one. Yeah. Yeah. That's the thing, right? It's just kind of uh, setting expectations for these guys, right? Laporte at tight end 20 versus Kincaid at tight end 11. You know, you're expecting probably about 12 points per game from a tight end one on average. And then Laporta's tight end two status, it's like eight points per game, right? So it's a big difference there uh, on a weekly basis. So, you know, setting expectations, I think are a little high for Dalton Kincaid uh, to come out and, and live up to his, his ADP, but there's a chance at least Laporta, depending on how involved the Lions get him, um, could potentially be okay at his ADP. Uh, last group here is the tight end fallers. So we've got Dawson Knox, the Buffalo Bills going from tight end 15 to tight end 21. Uh, we kind of already touched on why that is, but also Taysom Hill with the new Orleans saints going from tight end 17 to tight end 22. Jake Ferguson with the Dallas Cowboys goes from tight end 26 to tight end 30. And Michael Mayer goes from tight end 20 to tight end 23. Anybody on that list uh, that stands out to you? Well, like Knox is the obvious one because they drafted Kincaid. So I think he just kept falling. It was a case where like before the draft, I had both Kincaid and Knox in my top 12. And then after the draft, I didn't have either of them in my top 12. Mm -hmm. I think Taysom Hill is probably the interesting one since he's not someone that I would have thought of before looking at the list. But it's just an interesting situation with the Saints where like, 
Alvin Kamara the past two or three years really hasn't had any competition at running back. Um, Mark Ingram's been the guy recently and he's was like the oldest running back in the NFL for the two years that he was the backup. So it made sense for them to use Taysom Hill and he got 96 carries, 575 rushing yards, seven touchdowns to go along with 77 receiving yards, two receiving touchdowns, 13 completions, 240 passing yards, two passing touchdowns. So like that was good for tight end nine and PPR leagues, tight end three and standard leagues last year. But he might be losing a lot of that rushing production now that they've invested at running back. And he might even lose some of that passing production now that they have Derek Carr at quarterback. So it'll be really interesting to see how they use Hill, if they continue to use him in similar ways that they did last year. Um, He's someone where in best ball drafts, I'm definitely happy to get him at tight end 22, just because I expect there to be at least two or three weeks throughout the season where he'll be in the game plan more than usual and end up with a big week. And that's more than you can expect than most tight ends in that range. But in a redraft league, I'm probably not expecting much out of Hill in general, since he'll be that gadget player who will have some surprise weeks, but then also have some weeks where he doesn't do anything. And I think his upside's lower this year than it is in past years because they added two new running backs and car. So uh, Hill was the most surprising one for me from this tight end follow list. Nice. Yeah. Makes sense. I, I would have a hard time with him and redraft as well. Just not knowing when to start him for those big weeks, but best ball definitely makes sense there. Um, as far as anybody else on this list for me, I mean, Michael Mayer kind of interesting drop. I mean, I think, the main thing that that stands out is I, I think a lot of analysts were mocking him in the first round and to the Bengals, which would have been obviously nice. We talked about how that's been good for uh, Irv Smith's ADP, but you know it's not like the Raiders are an awful landing spot, especially with Darren Waller off to New York. It, it's still probably not an ideal one, even with like Austin Hooper there. And, and depending on how you view OJ Howard, he's there as well. But not that Hooper was was terrible last year for the Browns either. Um, but you know he's an established vet who has consistently earned targets wherever he's been and NFL teams value that right so there's definitely a chance that the Raiders maybe want Mayer to learn from Hooper play behind him this year and before they ever move him ahead on the depth chart uh, at least as a rookie so he he might be someone that um, I might move probably out of that top 24 tight ends um, probably just outside so I, I get the I get the drop there with Michael Mayer as a rookie even though he was drafted early second round in a decent landing spot, I could see his rookie utilization being a little bit lower than uh, some of the other guys we talked about. But yeah, I'd add to that um, with Mayor, I could very well see a situation with the Raiders. Uh, last year, we saw uh, Foster Moreau taking a lot of the rundown snaps, and then Darren Waller taking more of the passing down snaps. Mm-hmm. Mayor, um, part of the reason that he's thought of so highly at tight end is he's probably the best run blocking tight end of the group. He can definitely uh, catch the ball as well, so he's very well-rounded. But the Raiders with Josh Jacobs, they're going to be running the ball plenty, and I expect Mayer to be that guy who's starting for them, playing on first downs, playing on second downs. Austin Hooper is someone where all of his skill set is in receiving. He's not the best 
run blocking tight end. Um, the teams that have used him in the past uh, knew that used him on third downs, used him in clear passing situations. So I could see this being a similar situation where Mayer's playing in the clear running situations. Austin Hooper might be coming in a bit more on third downs, coming in in the two minute drill, which is where you want to see your fantasy tight ends really playing. So that's where my concern is at. Um, I could very well see uh, Mayer potentially overpassing Hooper on third downs at some point, in which case this would be low for him. But I think the Raiders have a plan for him. I think the Raiders will be able to use him a lot on the field. It just might not be in ways that are always helpful for fantasy managers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, makes sense. Um, so yeah, that that's it. That's all. Um, Nate, how'd you feel about episode one? I felt good about episode one. We still get to close things out and talk about all the things that we've been doing recently. Um, I've mostly since the draft has ended been uh, going through different kinds of formats, going through all the various dynasty formats. Uh, Yesterday posted my PPR rankings again, updated post draft, but basically I have all of my rankings updated after the draft. Um, We'll probably continue to focus on rankings until we get closer to July in which I will have plenty of content about all the fun things in the fantasy world with draft strategy and rankings and sleepers and breakout players and all of those fun things. Absolutely. Yeah. Nate's got all his rankings and everything up on the website and I believe they're all free to view right now. Um, I've recently posted some uh, running back specific position pieces this week that focus on kind of like target tendencies to the position uh, workhorse or lack thereof usage per team, a ton of rookie content, including sleepers rankings, a bunch of quality IDP content for those that enjoy the defensive side of the ball as well. Um, But yeah. And then as far as, this podcast goes i mean we're we're wrapping up episode one here and hopefully you enjoyed the discussion today uh in the very first edition of the new pff fantasy podcast we also hope that you'll continue uh to tune in throughout the off season and into the regular season uh we'll be back on a weekly basis for the early portion of the off season and then start to kind of ramp things up as closer to prime fantasy season um but in the meantime for the next maybe month and a bit we'll be covering all kinds of fantasy relevant topics like uh positional previews draft strategies uh rankings values and fades we might revisit you know the the new risers and fallers as we get closer to the season as well uh for adp and then many more fun topics to get you ready for the 2023 fantasy football season um Nate, I really appreciate it. Uh, Thank you for for doing this with me. Um, Anything else you want to add before I sign us off here? Nope, I'm just looking forward to having a great season. Glad we're starting early in May so we can start getting a rhythm for this podcast and really hit the ground running once we start to get to fantasy draft season. I'm very excited for fantasy drafts to... Right now we have best ball drafts to tide us over, but once we get closer to redraft season, that's when the fun, at least for me, really starts. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, and feel free to let us know, you know, the kind of things that you'd like to hear about as well. You can reach out on Twitter at PFF underscore Nate Yonke and at PFF underscore Macri. Let us know your thoughts. Feel free to send questions as well. Um, yeah, but thank you to everyone who listened. And again, we look forward to you all continuing to tune in and join us in this new iteration of the PFF Fantasy Podcast. I know we're excited. I hope you all are as well. It's going to be a fun ride. I will see you very soon.